0: A number of years ago, I was sitting around a table with people from all over the world discussing uh, sports, specifically cycling. It was uh, Tour de France, most importantly, Lance Armstrong. And the discussion that we were having was a little bit of an argument over who thought he was on steroids or who thought he wasn't. Now we were going back and forth. This is before a bunch of the stuff came out. People were postulating and, and I was among them and I fell on the side, call me a, hope, a hopeful person. I fell on the side that he was natural. You know, he did it through all the cancer and everything and he was able to do it and great and blah, blah, blah. And so some 20, 30 minutes goes by and someone who was very new to the community, his name was Guy, what's his name, Guy? Uh, who was sitting there the whole time and I didn't really know anything about him but he was very quiet. Towards the end of the conversation, he just leans forward and he, 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 I was one of the most vocal people in the group and he says, Zach, I know for certain that Lance Armstrong was on steroids. And I said, how do you know that? And his response, which is one of the largest foot-in-mouth moments of my life, was Zach, because I spent years professionally riding on his team. <laughs> you win. At what? There's nothing else I could say in that moment. His knowledge of the industry, his experience in the industry, his experience actually riding the Tour de France with Lance Armstrong, training with him. He had all the credibility anyone in that circle wanted. And I just thought it was so interesting he sat there and listened to us kind of talk about it for so long before he dropped that factoid. <laughs> He's a new guy. Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, which is where we are, is writing to a church that's dealing with false teachers coming in, saying a lot of things that are wrong. And Paul, in the 20 or so verses that we're looking at today, establishes his credibility. He wants his audience to understand why he should be reliable, why he should be trusted, why his voice is worth listening to. And he does that by talking about the source of his authority, which is Jesus. All right, he does that by talking about his transformation going from being a church persecutor to a church planter, which happens why? Because of Jesus. And then finally, by talking about his mission to the Gentiles given to him by who? By Jesus. All the while keeping Jesus in focus. And so we're gonna be in Galatians. We're gonna be in chapter one. If you have your Bible, it's in the New Testament. It's in in the last quarter of the Bible if you have your own in Galatians. Let me pray. Lord, this morning as we spend a little time together, Looking at Paul's letter, I do pray for clarity. Lord, I pray that we all would have humble hearts to receive, as Gary mentioned in his prayer, to be challenged, exhorted, comforted. God, we know that you meet people where they're at. We ask you to do that just the same. In Jesus' name, amen. The very first thing we're going to look at is the authenticity of Paul's authority. Looking at chapter one, we're actually going to rewind just a little bit back to verse one from last week, because it connects. Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God, the Father who raised him from the dead. He's starting very, very much up front, the source of his authority, not from people. didn't come from a person. He wasn't just commissioned by some guy. He was actually commissioned by Jesus. That's important. Leaping forward to today's text in verse 11, he says, for I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me is not of human origin. Again, the source. For I did not receive it from a human source and I was not taught it, but it came by a revelation of Jesus Christ. He's, again, arguing for the authenticity of his authority. Finally, Galatians 1.18. Send forward a little bit more. Then after three years... We skip the section where he talks about meeting Jesus and his life totally changed, and we'll get there a little bit later. Then after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas, and I stayed with him 15 days, but I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. He points out who we didn't see. I declare in the sight of God, I'm not lying in what I write to you. Isn't that it? Why is he making such a big deal about not spending time with Jesus' followers? Afterward, I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I remained personally unknown to the Judean churches that are in Christ. Now in these verses, we meet the apostle who's called by Jesus, and he goes out of his way to make it brutally clear to anyone and everyone that his commission, his gospel, his message was not derived from man. It wasn't derived from the teachings of people. It was derived from Jesus himself. In fact, he points out explicitly how little time he spent with the other apostles and the other disciples. Why? Because he wants his audience to know that what they're getting from him isn't even from the other apostles. It's not from the other disciples. It doesn't have human origins. It came from Jesus. Why does Paul go to all the trouble of emphasizing these things? Paul wants to make sure that people see the authenticity of his authority because the authority of an apostle is not taken lightly. It was taken very seriously. To be an apostle meant something. And there were two qualifications to be an apostle now, we're talking about the office, the role of apostle. we're gonna just kind of back up for a moment and offer some definitions, okay? These are the qualifications of an apostle. And this makes sense in light of the fact that the Greek word apostolos means sent one or messenger. And these qualifications of an apostle are like this. One, to be an apostle, you had to have seen Jesus after his resurrection with your own eyes. You had to be an eyewitness of the resurrection. That's one. Two, you would have been specifically commissioned by Jesus to be an apostle. So here's, an, here's a definition. An apostle is someone who saw the physically risen Jesus was commissioned specifically by Jesus to be his unique ambassador in the world. In this role, their teaching is Jesus' teaching. They speak for God, and their words bear the weight of his conferred authority. Why are we spending all this time on definitions of who's an apostle, who's not an apostle? We're going to connect this to today in some really important ways in a moment. But just for some scripture, we see this definition bear out in Acts. In Acts chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Until the day he was taken up, after he had given instructions, talking about Jesus, given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen apostles are chosen by jesus acts 1 8 but you will receive power when the holy spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in jerusalem all judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth that's jesus sending his apostles because apostles are chosen and sent by jesus later on in chapter one he says beginning from the baptism of john until the day he was taken up from us This is them talking about Jesus being taken. From among these, it is necessary that one become a witness with us of his resurrection. One of the disciples, Judas, one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, was no longer with them. They had to find another one to replace him. So they proposed two. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. Did you catch that? Joseph called Barsabbas. Do you have three names? This guy had three names. (laughs) Then they prayed. You, Lord, know everyone's heart. Show which of these two you have chosen. What do we see in that text? One, they're trying to figure out who's gonna replace Judas to be the apostle, and they need to make sure that he was an eyewitness to the resurrection. He can't be an apostle if he wasn't an eyewitness. And then second, what do you see at the end? Lord, who you have chosen. They had to be chosen, commissioned by Jesus. Jesus. Paul, when defending his own apostleship, says in 1 Corinthians, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Why? Because he had to see Jesus to be an apostle. Wayne Grudem, professor of systematic theology, writes, these verses and more combine to indicate that unless someone who has seen Jesus after the resurrection with his own eyes, they simply could not be an apostle. And, And Paul goes on. In Acts 26, we see more. And Paul mentions more in Romans and 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and so on i got to point out, there's a difference between what we call a, a capital A apostle. That's the, that's the role. That's the office. That's the person who speaks for God, has the authority of God. And the lowercase a, apostolic gifting. Because you might feel and talk about having an apostolic gifting. And by that, what you mean is you have a pioneering spirit. You have a heart for church planning. You cast big vision and you go for it and you dream big. That's Okay. We're talking specifically about the authority that comes from, with, with the capital A apostle. But Paul spent so much time and energy explaining why his authority can be trusted. Why he is an apostle. Why? Because he knew that people would come claiming to be apostles that are not claiming to have authority they do not have and as opposed to paul their message would not be from god but from man now these people are real up until today their followings are huge their platforms on youtube and instagram and tiktok are far-reaching people today claiming to have the authority of apostles Their content is packaged into some of the most engaging and passionate and emotionally stimulating worship and preaching. And so we're going to take a few moments and I want to quickly look at the people who are claiming authority they do not have, who are abusing authority they should not have, and who are changing scripture to try to support, literally writing new Bibles in order to support the movement that they're a part of. First, They claim authority they do not have. Now, there are widespread movements in the church falling under what we would call the new apostolic reformation. We've used that term before. It's in books. You may have heard of it. We spent some time on it three years ago during the summer in which people claim to be modern day apostles and prophets. They claim to speak for God. They claim that their words have the authority of God's words. And this isn't just people claiming to be apostles, but also prophets, And I've already given you the qualifications of an apostle, but God's word is also unwavering. And that the single greatest indicator, whether or not someone is not a prophet, okay, is whether or not their stuff always come true or not. Did you hear this? Someone claims to be a prophet, according to scripture, they need to be correct about what they say is going to happen 100% of the time. That is how seriously God takes people attempting to speak for him. You mess up once, you are a false teacher, a false prophet, and you are to be disregarded. In the Old Testament, you were to be killed. Now, in recent memory, some of the most famous people who claim to be prophets in our world, again, some of the biggest platforms on social media, many of them came out just a few years ago to their tens of millions of followers during the election And what I'm about to say is not a comment on the election. It is not a comment on who won the election. And it is not a comment on Donald Trump. So hear that. Okay? But in 2021, a bunch of these people, prophets, came out and prophesied that by the end of 2021, Trump would be back in, in, in office. This was everywhere. And then, of course, he wasn't. If you came across those people, that is a false prophet by every scriptural measure. The authority of people claiming to be modern prophets and apostles, unfortunately, is unchecked. They are not accountable to others. When their teaching is tested and confronted by what the Bible says, they will argue that you simply misinterpret them or the text. And this is completely different from how we do things here. This is why we have elders in the church. When my sister moved here a number of years back and she said, Zach, to Pennsylvania, East Coast, we're from California, not here, but Pennsylvania is here compared to California. And she said, Zach, how do I find a church? What do I look for? And I said, Heather, they got to preach through the Bible. And is the pastor surrounded by people that can tell him no? Those two things. Now, I love our lead pastor, Gary. He's an, he's an amazing man, and I'm, I enjoy working alongside him. Agree with him almost 100% of the time. Having said that, he's surrounded by an accountability structure with our elders. Apostles aren't the ones that we're talking about. And because this is an issue, you wouldn't be surprised to learn that it gets abused. That people speaking for God gets abused. That people having unchecked authority over others gets abused. Now, not too long ago, Netflix made a documentary on a sect of fundamentalist Mormons titled Keep Sweet. I do acknowledge up front, Mormons do not worship the same Jesus as Christians, okay? And people argue about this. If you and me said we had a mutual friend and you were describing someone born in China with black hair and I was describing someone born in New York that's been blonde their whole life, but they have the same name, we aren't talking about the same person, okay? The Mormon Jesus is completely different in substance and capacity than the Christian Jesus. So I acknowledge that, okay? We're gonna come back to Christianity in a second. The focus of this documentary, however, is on the recent development in the fundamentalist Latter-day Saints movement led by their prophet, Warren Jeffs. This is a radical subsect of the Mormon church, okay? Not the Mormon church, the fundamentalists off to the side. He, to this day, is still known to many of them as their prophet to this day from behind prison bars. People sold businesses because God spoke through Warren. Wives left their husbands because God told them to through Warren. Children were escorted to different facilities hundreds of miles away and their parents were no longer allowed to raise them because God spoke them to do so through Warren Jeffs. Families brought their little girls to him, to marry him, to be sexually assaulted by him because God spoke through the prophet Warren to do so and if you ever dare challenge a modern day prophet you will hear them convict you of blaspheming the holy spirit how dare you blaspheme the holy spirit there's the most extreme example but we have our own within christianity there's a man named bob jones not of bob jones university different there's lots of bob jones out there so different bob jones I mentioned this to someone before, and they're like, wait, I use homeschool cricket from... No, it's different. It's a different person. But this Bob Jones was one of the most influential prophets in the 20th century within this movement called the New Apostolic Reformation. Pastors like Bill Johnson at Bethel Church have claimed that his influences have been huge in their life, praising him for his life and his ministry. Bob Jones was a prophet Bob Jones spoke for God what he said God said so when he asked young women to come into his office to undress themselves so they could stand naked before the Lord as he prophesied over them they did it because what he says God says and you wouldn't dare blaspheme the Holy Spirit would you but those are abuses, Zach. You can't eliminate modern apostles and prophets based on their abuses. That's not the point, church. We don't call this out because of the abuse, though it's there. We call it out because it's not in Scripture. And so, my third note on this before we move on in Galatians is that people are attempting and have changed Scripture in order to prop up this movement. It's happened. Not too long ago, a new translation was put together by an individual, a person, and one of its great purposes was to actually remove things from the Bible, add things to the Bible and change things intentionally to change the theology of the Bible to allow space for modern day prophets and apostles. Now this new Bible has been ridiculed mercilessly by Hebrew and Greek scholars alike for the havoc it wreaks on the actual text, for everything it changes and ignores. And it is called a Bible, but it is not a Bible. And fortunately, some Bible platforms online have started removing it because it shouldn't be there. Paul makes it really clear in this text that what he is giving is not from man, but from God. This Bible is not from God, it is from man. And it has sold hundreds of thousands of copies, perhaps even millions, much because it has been strongly endorsed by influential pastors like Bill Johnson of Bethel. It claims to be the heart level translation Capturing God's fiery love for his people. And if you haven't guessed yet, I am referring to the Passion Translation or the Passion Bible. Now, I know plenty of people who bought this Bible because they saw it on Amazon and it just looked interesting and they had no idea. If that's you and you happen to have it, okay. But I would encourage you, grab an ESV, a CSB, a King James, an an NIV. Those will serve you better. Those have not been changed in order to change what you believe. Can you see why, before Paul gets into the meat of his letter, he is so set on people knowing and believing that his message is from God, not from man? Can you understand why that's a priority for him? Can you see why he is so intent on verifying his authority? Let's keep reading. We just looked at the authenticity of Paul's authority. Now we turn to the journey of Paul's transformation. All right, Galatians 1, verse 13. For you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. It's so fascinating that, that, was, that that's who Paul used to be. Man, Jesus changes lives. Verse 14. I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when God... Who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles, that's non Jews. I did not immediately consult with anyone. I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who had become apostles before me. Why does he say that? Same reason as before. He wants the people reading him to know he didn't get this gospel from man. Okay, this came straight from Jesus. And so when he got it from Jesus, what did he do? I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. Straight out on the mission field. In this text of Galatians, we meet the sinner who was transformed. And if you don't know this about Paul's life, you can read about it in Acts chapter nine. But Paul, who was a Pharisee beforehand and he was a persecutor of the church responsible for the murder of Christians, Paul was on the road to Damascus and he got knocked off his horse by a great light. And Jesus, the risen Jesus, confronted him and said, why are you persecuting me? And he couldn't see for three days. And the man leading the movement to squash Christianity literally became its greatest proponent and missionary. Like that. As we look at this text, and if you turn to Acts chapter 9, if you look at the Paul we have before Jesus, and he describes himself here in Galatians. If you look at the Paul before Jesus, we see a man full of zeal and knowledge. We see a man full of passion, and he was smart. He was all in for God. And everything God had for him. And he spent untold amounts of hours studying diligently in the word. This was before Jesus. Why was it not enough? Because all for all the devotion that Paul had, he didn't have the right Jesus. He didn't have the right doctrine. For all the passion he had, he did not know the right Jesus and his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus didn't change his passion or zeal that stayed the same it changed what he knew and with it his direction now I want to back up for a moment I just want to acknowledge kind of a major point of division in the church and our own lived experiences as Christians because among us in this room we got thinkers and feelers If you take a Myers-Briggs test, they're going to divide you somewhat which way? And you might be right down the middle or mostly lean to one side. And so we got some people who know you're thinkers, okay? And then we got other people who feel like you're a feeler, okay? (laughs) And most of us tend to go in one of those two directions. But as a follower of Jesus, we have to have Both doctrine and devotion. In Scripture, we see the importance of both. You have to think and feel. Titus 1, you got to have doctrine. Titus 1, 9 says, holding to the faithful message is taught so that he will both be able to encourage with sound teaching and refute those who contradict it. That's how important truth is. Titus 2, 1, but you are to proclaim things consistent with sound teaching. Second Timothy four three. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves on YouTube and Instagram and TikTok. That's not in the text, okay? But that's that's the world that we live in, okay? They will multiply themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. But you got to also have devotion. This is any relationship. In my marriage with my wife, I want to know things about her and I want my affection to be for her. You got to have both. Psalm 16 Devotion. You reveal the path of life to me and your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand, eternal pleasures. That's devotion. Psalm 71, my lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you because you have redeemed me. That's the heart talking. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6, and you yourselves became imitators of us and the Lord went in spite of severe persecution. You welcome the message with what? Joy from the Holy Spirit. That's desire, that's the heart. That's the feeler talking. And you are a lot like, she's using an illustration from what you're a lot like a ship. And your doctrine, it's like the rudder of the ship. And it points you in the right direction. And your devotion is a lot like the engine room in the ship that gets you going. And the problem is when we d- decide in our character, or it's just how God made us, or whatever it is, to just shut one of them off. And so if you're over here, and you get rid of the rudder, and you just go, when the waves come, you're going in any direction but the right direction. But you're going. And then you're over here, you shut down the engine room, but at least you're facing the right way. And these people bicker at each other. These people over here pointing, all that movement, you're not going the right way. And these people over here saying, but at least we're moving. (laughs) Both, to love the Lord your God with just your mind is a sin. To love the Lord your God with just your heart is a sin. Jesus says the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything. Doctrine and devotion and if you're guilty of that repent but this is what we see after paul meets jesus because all the energy had before all the movement all the work being done by the engine now pointed in a singularly focused god glorifying direction it says he went to arabia and damascus in the text he likely went immediately in his calling to the gentiles to preach the gospel and we know he was a wanted man by the ruler of Arabia because in another letter he mentions having to be snuck out of Damascus because Damascus, they were coming after him. He was being chased down, likely because of the offensiveness of the gospel, which hasn't changed to today. But it didn't matter for Paul. The engine was going and the rudder was operational. So he's moving in the right direction. Doctrine and devotion. Finally, Galatians chapter two. We have the authenticity of Paul's authority. We have the journey of his transformation. And then finally, we see Jesus and the universality of his gospel. And I say that word universal, universality, not referring to universalism, that idea that all people go to heaven, but rather that the gospel of Jesus Christ is offered not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. It is a message offered to all. Galatians two. It says, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. I went up according to a revelation and presented to them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles. But privately to those recognized as leaders, I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running in vain. I love this. Paul went and rubbed shoulders with the who's who in Jerusalem, some of the disciples, the apostles, to make sure everything's lined up. Not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. He's, why is he telling this to the Galatians? Because they're allowing that lie to creep in. He's saying, I hung out with the who's who, and not even they told the Greek dude that he had to be circumcised. Which, by the way, aren't you glad that circumcision is not a condition of joining the church today? That'd be an awkward conversation. I don't envy the churches who went that direction. Verse 4. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. But we did not give up and submit to these people even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel would be preserved for you. Fast forwarding last two verses. When James, Cephas, and John, that was Jesus's core three, by the way, those recognized as pillars, acknowledged the grace that had been given to me. They gave the right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas agreeing. We should go to the Gentiles, they to the circumcised. They asked only that we remember the poor, which I made every effort to do. Here at our close, we meet Paul, the missionary who was sent. First, I refer to Paul quite intentionally as a missionary because he was called to do something that some of the other apostles weren't. There were apostles, disciples of Jesus who spread the gospel, but who were not missionaries. Every Christian, here this is on mission, an evangelist spreads the gospel within their cultural linguistic context. A missionary translates the gospel into a different cultural linguistic context. That's why we talk about his missionary journeys, which means, yes, sometimes trying to explain the Bible to your child will make you feel like a missionary. But what does everyone have in common? We are all on mission. And Paul's mission was the Gentile's and we're going to find that this becomes incredibly important for us later in the letter because wrapped up in this mission is the beauty and hope of God's promise from the very, very beginning. When sin entered in the world and God took steps to redeem the world, to redeem us out of our sin, out of our sinfulness, the goal wasn't to just redeem Israel, but humanity. His promise to Abraham long ago, 2,000 years before Jesus was not just to make him a great nation, in Israel, but through him to bless the entire world in Jesus. In Isaiah, we see God's plan wasn't that Israel and the law terminate on itself, but that it would point the world to God. In Isaiah 49, he writes, "'It is not enough for you to be my servant, "'raising up the tribes of Jacob "'and restoring the protected ones of Israel. "'I will make you a light for the nations "'to be my salvation to the ends of the earth.'" We see stories throughout the Old Testament of outsiders being grafted in. Rahab, the prostitute, helping them get into Jericho. Ruth, who would end up in her lineage, would, 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 um, we find King David and eventually Jesus. She was a Gentile. Paul puts God's heart for the Gentiles beautifully in his letter to the Romans when he says this. He quotes Hosea and he says this. Those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call Beloved. That's beautiful, he's talking about us. And Paul clearly understands that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for the world, not just the Jews, but he also knows that we are ushered into the family of God because our devotion to Jesus Christ, not because of the law, not because of the festivals, not because of the ceremonies, certainly not because of circumcision. And we're going to talk more about that false gospel of legalism that Gary mentioned last week. We're going to talk about it later in the coming weeks. But this was the false message Galatia was hearing. You have Jesus, great, but you're not really part of the family till you're circumcised. And we see legalism creep into the church and our experience as well. This notion that you got to have everything together, or at least it has to look like you have everything together. At least the most visible problems in your life. Clean some of those up before you show up before you come to God or to his church. Met people in East Africa, shared this a few years back, who didn't go to church simply because they didn't have a suit. and You didn't dare walk into a church unless you had a suit. A stupid thing to keep people from worshiping together. Got to look the part sometimes. For others, it might be language. You got to say the right things or don't say the wrong things. Let me just say, we welcome you as you are. To come hear the gospel preached and to worship. I spent car rides with people who are new to Jesus who rarely go more than a sentence or two without an expletive. You know what? God's at work. Paul knows the law is not what justifies. The law is not what rescues. The law is not what initiates you into the family of God. It's Jesus. But don't hear what I'm not saying. The Holy Spirit works on his people. It's okay to not be okay. But it's not okay to want to stay there. Behavior doesn't get you into the family of God, but the Holy Spirit works to bear the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And fortunately, that comes a little bit later in Galatians, so we get to talk about it in a few weeks. But because one of the issues he is addressing in this book is legalism, he is going after people that teach Jesus plus other things. And Paul spends time justifying his position and his authority Not just by saying it comes from Jesus, but by pointing out that he spent time with the other disciples and everything lines up. His Gentile friend Titus came and no one made him get circumcised. Everyone's in agreement, Jesus plus nothing. You remember that time when you were little, the babysitter came over to watch you and you attempted to convince them that your parents always let you (laughs) fill in the blank. They always let me stay up till midnight watching TV eating ice cream. Always. To which, if you're the babysitter, you might let them know I spoke to your parents. I mean, I wouldn't let you do that anyways, but I know how things roll. Paul does that here in Galatians. He's doing that to the church there and mentioning his apostolic partnership with the people around him. All the disciples are on the same page, all the apostles are on the same page. All the apostles have the same gospel, and that gospel puts Jesus as the focus, not behavior. Jesus, not a false teaching from man. Jesus, not the law. Jesus, Jesus at the center of Paul's own authority. Jesus was who he saw. Jesus is who commissioned him as an apostle. Jesus was the focus. Jesus was at the center of his transformation, going from church persecutor to church planner. Jesus was the focus, and Jesus was the center of his mission, reaching the world with the good news that while we were still sinners, God sent his son to die for us, to live the perfect life that we couldn't and die the death we deserve. That by entrusting our lives to him by the power of the Holy Spirit, we might know life and life eternal. Jesus was the focus. May we do all that we can to keep Jesus our focus as well. Pray with me. Lord, on behalf of our people, I would ask for discernment. Help us, Lord, as you, as you say through, uh, through John to test the spirits of this world. Lord, as we find ourselves in this world but not of this world, as, as influences are left and right and all around, Lord, help us, Lord, to just test things with the knowledge of your word. Give us just a deeply affectionate devotion for you especially those, Lord, who just get absorbed in all the data. Help us to love you profoundly with all that we are. Lord, for those who get caught up in the zeal and 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 the emotional highs, those are good things, but, Lord, would you meet them, Lord, with truth, a devotion to truth, a love of truth, that they would want to worship you with all that they are. God, give us discernment in all these things.